When we first looked at the results, it was astonishing. We've had to rethink the history of technology completely as a result of this single object. It's such a clever, extraordinary, sophisticated machine. Completely, completely shocking for ancient Greece. It's a dedicated calculating machine and it uses bronze gear wheels to calculate the cycles of the cosmos, the cosmos being the sun, the moon, the planets against the stars. You wind it forward 10 years and you can know where the sun and the moon is going to be, where the planets are going to be. We come to find him in 1969. The world has changed around him. He's retiring as a professor and he's about to stumble into an adventure. Sorry. It's filled with awe and excitement and danger, and they've completely captured that. I felt good. And that we had made a film that the audience deserved. I feel confident that we're going to knock their socks off. Students at Marshall College everywhere, welcome to episode number 365 of Blast Points. This is Jason. And this is Gabe. And guess what? We're doing one more Indiana Jones episode. In true Indiana Jones fashion, you think it's done. Nope, we're doing one more. Yeah, we didn't make you wait 15 years, but Indiana Jones is back. We forgot. Really, the truth is we forgot how to do Star Wars episodes. It's been so long. So we really don't know what to do. So we're just going to keep talking about indie. Well, it, you know, it's kind of the thing where we did our Dial of Destiny episode kind of so long ago. And it was kind of like not too long after we saw the movie. And 
since the movie's come out and since we've seen it more times, kind of more thoughts had come up. And it was like, well, when, you know, when are we going to do another Indiana Jones episode? We might as well do it now. You know, where are we going to talk about Dial of Destiny stuff in two years? I mean, we probably will. <laughs> yeah, but there's a there's a nice little little window here, a window in time where Star Wars hasn't come back full force yet. So yeah, let's talk about Dial of Destiny. Let's uh, fly up in a plane with a sleeping man in it through a portal and make it happen one more time. Back in 1989, thought Last Crusade was it. I really thought in 2008 that came with the crystal skull was was it and a couple weeks ago i thought our big dial destiny super episode i thought that i thought that was it we're gonna go back to star wars no we still have a little bit of indie fever even though indie fever may be kind of cooling off (laughs) out there listen we're keeping it going we still got more stuff to talk about with dial destiny it's still indiana jones month even though it's july because we didn't take Continental Drift into account, and we've drifted <laughs> into July. I don't know where you're going, but it's not back to Star Wars. <laughs> right. We we went through the portal back into expecting to be back into Star Wars, and when we came out of the clouds, no, we're still in Indiana Jones land. So, all right, let's roll with it. We're on the beach. We're talking to Archimedes. We're just, you know, we're rolling with it. Maybe, maybe we stay here. Maybe somebody punches us and we wake up back in the Blast Point's apartment. I just want to stay here. <laughs> just going to sit, just sit and bleed out in, in Indie Month. So, okay. Dial Destiny has now been out for a couple weeks, a few weeks, whatever. Uh, I've gone to see it three more times in the theater since we were in California. You know, it's really nice feeling for me because it's like kind of comforting how much I love it because I want to keep going back to go see it. And I really haven't felt that way about a new movie, like gotten that level of like, I just, I got to keep watching it. And if I don't go see it, maybe it thinks I don't love it. Like since kind of The Last Jedi, where I've had that like feeling of just like, yes, I really love this movie and I just want to keep watching it forever. And the baby is part of the family now. And yeah, it's, it's, it's really nice, at least for me, how much I just kind of love this movie. It's always fun for me to see you with Indiana Jones stuff, because as much as you're crazy about Star Wars, there's almost like a rationalness to your love of Star Wars where with, with Indiana Jones, it's completely irrational you know, and, and not that there aren't rational reasons, but it's like there's no middle ground for you with Indy. It's either like Indy's in the background because you're focusing on Star Wars or it's like 10,000 percent. Right. Like it's like <laughs> you having Crystal Skull on even when you weren't watching it, just in case you had five minutes to flip the channel because just to watch a little bit of Crystal Skull, like <laughs> which is true. Yeah. So that's that's fun for me cuz I I love the Indiana Jones movies but I'm not as I'm not as crazy as you. So um <laughs> cuz I saw it, I've seen it twice now and I'm looking forward to to watching it again but I'm like I need to pace myself. I'm waiting. I'm going to watch it again. But I'm not, yeah, I'm not like just drinking from the fire hose of Indiana Jones and like just just spray it in my face. Come on. I, you know, I'm not going to deny anything you just said. That is all. That's, that's someone speaking, speaking their, hearing the truth, the full truth, nothing but the truth. 
but it's so much fun to 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 be watching it because it's like yeah just seeing oh, oh jason's at it dial of destiny again oh it's been two hours he's back at dial of destiny again <laughs> it's like and I, you know what? I've told everyone I know, like, hey, if you want to go see it again, you just give me a call. I'll go. I'll make time. I'll figure it out. Like, well, I'll go again. I, I, you know, and that's it's great because it it's almost it was like when Force Awakens came out, where it, it was a similar feeling of like, whoa, this is a new director, and George Lucas isn't. Uh, what's this going to be like? And then you see it, and it's like, this is great. I love this. This is one. They did it. It was the same thing with this, where it was like, oh, you know, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas, they're not there. What's this going to be like? And then you go see it and you're just like, yeah, this is like, this is an Indiana Jones movie. Welcome to the family. And I, I, I am drinking from the fire hose quite a bit right now. And yeah, my Indiana Jones. Yeah, it's all it's what you said is all very true. Some sometimes I, I don't have time to focus on it the way I would like to, because there's constantly star Wars things happening, but yeah, we're in still in Indiana Jones season and it's the fever right now. It's, it's, it's hot. It's, it's, you know, and our trip to California certainly didn't help things (laughs) at all. That's kind of was dangerous. Yeah. And it's like, savor it because like we were saying, you know, in 2008, it was like, Oh, okay. There's one more Indiana Jones movie and then he can retire and, we can move on with our lives and then now you know oh there's another one so it's like enjoy the ride cuz if there's another one it'll be in 15 years and it'll be cyborg indiana jones in the future i you know and i i was saying it online i still think animated is the way to go will it ever happen at this point who knows but I still, 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 I've said it many times on the show, too. I still think an animated Indiana Jones series that could even be a, a spiritual cousin relative to young Indy, where it could be educational. You could tell stories from any era of Indiana Jones. So you could literally go back to young Indy time period. Like you could have animated Sean Patrick Flannery or you could, you know, tell like Raiders, Last Crusade, Temple of Doom era, 1930s Indy. You could do 50s indie. You could do post-Dial of Destiny, marrying an indie, going on a road trip, and stumbling into an adventure story. Man, yeah, it would be nice <laughs> to get to get some animated indie. It is crazy. that It's crazy. I think we've talked about this, too. Like we haven't even got like Forces of Destiny or Galaxy of Adventures, like even like little indie shorts or anything. Like Even that would be amazing, but it's all good. So what we're going to do in 365 here is we're going to later we're going to talk about some of the finer aspects of one of my favorite things in the Dial Destiny, the dial itself, and some of the legit questions that are brought up by the movie of what is the dial? What the heck does it do? What's the deal with it? What happens in the end there? What is the time fissure in the sky and all that stuff? But before we get into all that, let's talk about some of the little things that we weren't able to talk about in 364, where we recap the whole movie. Because it's funny going back and listening to that episode of us, because we're like, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Helena's kid, I don't remember his name. (laughs) We only saw that one time. We were still delirious. Now we know his name is Teddy. 
Now we know the movie is called Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. We weren't sure. We were, you know, we were, we were calling each other Guy because we couldn't remember each other's names. We've had a little bit of time to kind of get back to our lives a little bit. So you, you saw it a second time. Was, it, was there any little, little funny bits, any little details that were jumping out at you? The biggest thing was just the things that I missed that you had caught the first time of like, all that stuff in Indy's apartment. So like the picture of Mutt in his uniform and the stuff from last crusade. And then a lot of it, the second time was just like, Oh, that really happened. <laughs> like, like, Oh yeah, I did remember that. This is, yeah, I did. It was all real. All this stuff really did happen. I had that with the, like the shot of like the donkey during the, the tuck tuck chase and stuff where I was like, Oh Yeah. <laughs> Because there, yeah, because there's a lot packed in there, and it is, yeah, it's one of those things where it's almost like, I don't know, I'm, I'm curious to hear some of the things you caught because you, you're like, you're two more times than me, so like you got into full on, like you're, you watch watching the movie without looking at the middle of the screen times, right? Like it's looking for the crazy stuff. Well, and of course, you know, we didn't mention uh, the first time we talked about it, like the, the shout out to Temple of Doom where he said he drank the blood of Kali. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> talking about you know helena is an archaeologist and helena has done a lot of stuff and obviously she knows quite a bit about the adventurous side of things but has she drank the blood of kali and been tortured by voodoo yeah you kind of you get distracted by the voodoo part and you forget he's talking about blood of kali and maybe that's why you know he started drinking so much alcohol maybe it wasn't the divorce it was just the blood of kali it was like trying to chase that <laughs> chase that buzz <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, what alcohol would even be strong for Indy? Where literally somebody would be like, man, that shot was crazy. And he'd be like, not as crazy as the blood of Kali I had to drink. Yeah. You ever drink you ever drink blood out of a skull? Like, this is nothing. <laughs> so he's like, seriously, where the hell was I? Like, where was that? Where was Mola Ram's place? How far underground were we? Like... That's what I would be questioning. I'd be like that. It's like when you're on Rise of the Resistance and you come out on the other side and you're like going through like these first order hallways and you're like, where the hell are we? That's what I would be like all during like Temple of Doom. Seriously, there's like a mine car thing. Like, where is this going? <laughs> do, you, do you think Indy just says that all the time and like no one knows what he's talking about? Like he's at his school in New York. And he's like, man, I'm blacked out for a second there, man. It's like I've been drinking the blood of Kali. Just <laughs> like, what? What is he talking about? He's always talking about the blood of Kali. I don't know. Or if he gets really grumpy, where he's like, oh no, am I having like a blood of Kali flashback? Did I get it all out of my system? He's got to yeah. burn himself. Oh man, yeah. Every couple of months, he's in the bathroom just burning himself just to just to get it away. Marion comes in from the grocery store with a torch. Indy, I love you. Psh. Thanks. Thanks, honey. Having those Kali flashbacks. Uh, you know, tons, like little stuff, like the amount of time they say uh, Spain's greatest frogman and the amount of mentions of sponge divers. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. We don't appreciate enough bringing back the term frogman. Like that's a term we don't use enough in, in, in modern days. So much frogman. Yeah. Well, and, and it's like, famous actor Antonio Banderas like playing just the dirtiest ship guy like my wife was like why does Antonio Banderas look so dirty and I was like that's just just how it is Spain's greatest frogman when he goes underwater it's like taking a bath when he's not 
going underwater. He, he enjoys being dry. On second, third viewings, I really began to appreciate uh, Big Rahim and Little Rahim. Like all the Little Rahim antics in Morocco. Yeah, Morocco is still my favorite part, I think, of the whole movie. Well, okay, I take that back. Morocco and and the end when, you know, once the plane goes through the portal and just it all goes off the rails. But like, yeah, I, I love the Morocco part. Like every second of Morocco, the the chase, all the people in all the cars the yeah everything the the bar restaurant thing it's just it's just jam-packed with uh just goofy indie fun i, I like a uh, little rahim showing up in his pajamas with like a suit jacket with the big knife that his dad gave him to cut off helena's head and all that stuff yeah little rahim's assistant with the big mustache and stuff just so good so good there's an embarrassment of riches of henchmen in this movie because yeah all the morocco henchmen i guess not necessarily henchmen because like talking about uh you know the greatest frogman in spain everyone else on his crew are like just incredible sailor dudes like i wish there was action figures of all those people even more than the antonio banderas one like just a bunch of hardy ship guys <laughs> i don't know cuz there's the there's the the big superman looking guy there's the accordion guy that watches the the tubes go down with teddy i like him unfortunately they're all killed it's kind of a bummer yeah well and that's i think going back to stuff from uh you know our review episode watching it the second time too i was really like feeling the the classic james bond movie vibes that this has to me where and and like with everyone dying like it feels like it's like a roger moore james bond movie where like everyone he meets gets gunned down in a, in a scene afterwards you know or like it just feels like that kind of a thing where it's like everyone he runs into is going to get murdered by the bad guys well and almost like a roger moore james bond movie where every little person you meet is kind of ridiculous it's true though yeah i mean think about that it is very because you know 80 year old harrison ford is kind of like roger moore james bond too where it's like hey we're gonna get a new younger james bond who's older than the old james bond in real life kind of thing so yeah it was kind of yeah, like watching a view to a kill where you're just like well just roll with it you know it's fine yeah another little thing that i like oh and pick I picked up on in repeated viewings is there's a, when they're on the plane after Morocco and the CIA, the American government comes and gets a Voller. And before they kind of take over the plane, how Voller is like, I'm not going back to Alabama. And then it really just made me think about professor Schmidt and what that was like, like <laughs> Voller undercover as Schmidt in Alabama. And I almost want like a whole movie, like a like a like a comic or something, like just pure wackiness of him, just miserable in Alabama. What did Voller do? Did he like go to McDonald's and stuff? <laughs> like, what, did he go to like a barbecue, like a cook-off, where people are just like, "Hey, hey, Ted, I heard you're working on that rocket." He's like, I, I, "I don't like talking to you." Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like, it it is. There's so many like kind of just subtle things with voler where it's like he's the nastiest nazi we've got in all the indie movies in a way because he's like he's just disgusted at everything yeah the fact that he's like mad at hitler because hitler wasn't hitler enough like and he's yeah, basically been forced to 
to be here for all these years and he just can't wait to be a horrible person again. <laughs> where where did he where did he live? What did his like American like housing look like? How did he decorate? Was he watching like Rowan and Martin's laughing on TV? Like what was Professor Schmidt into? <laughs> It's just it into being a miserable, hateful Nazi, but not being able to tell anyone. <laughs> that's, it's horrible, but that's almost kind of funny. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the the, the magic of Oler is it's like it's kind of disturbing and horrible, but it's also funny because you know <laughs> he, had to be, he had to be trapped in Alabama. Yeah. Another little thing I noticed upon repeated viewings that I like a lot: Helena's sandwiches that she's always eating. So I totally missed that completely so when is she eating sandwiches twice when they're fixing the car and he's indiana jones has the brilliant moment of the moroccan tree sap bubble gum which, which repels heat which i'm gonna remember that for the rest of my life if i'm ever in morocco <laughs> yeah well you need to get some moroccan chewing gum to keep in your car for emergencies just in case and when she's talking to teddy in Sicily, where she says she's still in charge when Indy's buying all the rope and stuff. Both times she's eaten these, like, thin bread sandwich things. Oh, I, okay, yeah. So when they're, right, the second time, I think I'm distracted because she's like, I got new clothes. And then it's like, yeah, she's eating, because I'm like, they're in, isn't that Sicily at that point? It's like, I was like, is she eating a pizza? Is she eating a... What is that? Okay, that one I remember, but yeah, okay, so the other one, that's good. Maybe that's like in honor of the behind-the-scenes pics of uh, Kathleen Kennedy on set always eating a sandwich. <laughs> oh, it's like, or Spielberg and his Egg McMuffins. It's like you gotta, you got to be eating sandwiches if it's Indiana Jones. I want one of those sandwiches. I really, you know, somebody listening to this is like, you fool, it's a blah, blah, blah. It's obviously you've never been to Italy. No, I haven't. But I want one of those sandwiches. They look really good. Yeah, it's like a pizza sandwich. It's right. It's a crispy sandwich. I kind of like that. I'm like, that's really neat. I want that. Helena knows how to snack. There's They're chasing Nazis after some time travel device, but you always got to take time out for a snack. Yeah. Well, she's she's smart and uh, and resourceful and knows you need energy. Where Indy's Indy's fueled by liquor at this point, where you know Helena Helena needs some protein and uh, and some bread. Well, and Indy has the blood of Kali still, I guess, to give him energy too, right? So maybe he doesn't eat anymore ever since the blood of Kali. Gross! Imagine how bad the blood of Kali tasted. Like, what is it? Like, what really was it? Was it really the blood of Kali? Was or was it some evil concoction that Mola Ram came up with? Maybe it tasted really good. That's yeah, and that's why everyone stayed brainwashed because they're like, "That's good. I want, I want more of that blood stuff." <laughs> Tastes like cherry coke. Yeah. Another thing in Dial of Destiny, the, kind of the superstar of the whole movie, the sleeping guy on the airplane. Like, there is not enough talk about the sleeping guy in there. I think we talked about him briefly in our big review episode, but every time I watch it, first of all, I love that, like, the Nazi plane is getting fireballs shot at it, like spears, but the sleeping dude and Teddy, like, not a scratch. And it's behind the Nazi plane the whole time. 
Well, that's because the Nazis plane is like, you know, it's painted really dark and it's huge and loud. They're playing just, you know, the, they probably don't even see it because they're focused on the, on the dragon. But yeah, in a movie full of some pretty crazy stuff and the fact that the end of the movie is, you know, the most outrageous moment in all of Indiana Jones, they're traveling through time, all of that. But really the most outrageous thing in maybe all of the Indiana Jones movies is that there is just a random dude sleeping in a plane who wakes up and then just goes along with the adventure, travels through time, like all, <laughs> I, yeah, when it gets to that part, every, I'm always going back and forth between like trying to pay attention to what's actually going on. And then just thinking about that dude who just woke up flying into a time portal and his plane was stolen by a little kid with a mustache. <laughs> like, it's just so ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and he only speaks uh, Greek or Italian or whatever. And then, you know, Teddy doesn't speak what he's speaking. And they're just flying around in, uh, yeah, like 200 BC Italy. You think like what he saw like Archimedes and he saw everything go on because they're there in the plane just waiting. So then you think afterwards they drag unconscious Indiana Jones back onto the plane fly back into the time fissure, back over Sicily 1969, and then what they're just like, okay, peace out. Okay, goodbye. See you later. Thanks for that. Yeah, that guy was probably like, man, I need some blood of Kali right now. (laughs) Yeah, he immediately went to a bar and was like, I need to drink some blood out of a skull. What do you got? Like, if if there was a post-credit scene, it should have just been that guy drinking at a bar eating one of those pizza sandwiches (laughs) yeah where's where's the action figure of that guy there's the there's like the cute little action fleet line of toys like there should be that plane with that guy and he has like a little sleeping bag do you think that's a thing where people sleep in their planes or is that just just that just that dude (laughs) i would i I would yeah yeah. Where you know, where's like the, the character poster for him? Where's the the metal popcorn bucket with his face on it? Yeah, well, I think that you know they wanted him to be a surprise, <laughs> and and he was the biggest surprise of the movie. He's like, wait, there's a dude sleeping in the plane. People are like, you know, one of my favorite parts was the cameo at the end. And people are like, oh yeah, Karen Allen Beck is Marion. They're like, no, the sleeping guy. Do you think that was a note from Lucas? <laughs> Like he read, he was reading the scripts and he was like, you know, I'm into it, but could there be like a dude sleeping in the plane that wakes up? (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, well, and that's, you know, and that's a thing too, that that's one thing that really surprised me with the movie. There was a recent interview with James Mangold in in an article in Hollywood Reporter by Brian Davids, where he was going into kind of. I was really surprised by this, the amount that Spielberg and potentially maybe Lucas were involved in the making of Dial of Destiny. Yeah, because uh, the article from Hollywood Reporter says, uh, I would send pages to Stephen Harrison, Kathleen Kennedy, and George, so I'd hear from everyone. I wrote an original treatment that shaped what the movie was going to be involving the Antikythera, time and a character based on Werner von Braun in the space program. And I presented that to Steven. And then as we entered prep, I would show Steven animatics of action I was planning. And as I shot, Steven would watch dailies. He was shooting Fablemans here in the U.S. while I was shooting Indy in England and we would talk. The time difference almost worked really well for us because Steven would often call me during my late nights and his early day and on weekends. 
So I'd say we talked at least once or twice a week as we watched dailies. Steven then came in very early on and I showed him the movie when it was just an assembly that was well over three hours. Wow. There's a lot to unpack there, but he was yeah, sending pages as he wrote the script to Stephen Harrison, Kathy Kennedy, and George Lucas. You know, Lucas probably made notes and Spielberg was involved like once or twice a week, like in very actively involved in every step of the way with Dial of Destiny. Yeah. Once or twice a week is a lot. <laughs> that really surprised me. And like, cool. And kind of reading that and going back and thinking about the whole movie, it's like, yeah, that, I guess that makes sense. I'm curious too, with the, maybe when the DVD comes out, like, cause it is a long movie. What, they cut, you know, there was at least what another 30, 40 minutes in that uh, assembly cut. I wonder if there were, you know, whole scenes and segments they cut or if it was just trimming down what was in the movie um, that we saw. Well, that was the th- going back and watching some of the old trailers. There's a part that was, I think, even in the first teaser trailer with Indy and Helena in the cave. And there's like a big round boulder ball thing that they kind of dislodge and it falls that's not in the movie yeah you're right i totally forgot about that and it's like oh yeah (laughs) it's another one of those movies where there's a bunch of stuff in the trailer that isn't in the in the final movie but yeah i mean will we ever know what spielberg's input was in the final product does it matter you know what did lucas say i still you got to think that george lucas probably loved the ending i wonder if mangled at times was like do i go there with the ending Uh, you could just see george lucas probably just being just like yes please you know like it's that's maybe that's one thing that i love with the the ending of dial destiny it is so george lucas like It's like an episode of Young Indiana Jones where it's like, and Indy met the actual historical person. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's and it is like it's it's funny because it's like, you know, you get people who are probably like, oh, James Mangold, he's not going to do any of that goofy Lucas stuff. Like, finally, we get Indy without the goofy Lucas stuff. And he did the most goofy Lucas stuff you could do. Like, you know, it's always great when that when it pans out like that. It's like, oh, no, he was pretty much channeling Spielberg and Lucas as much as anybody could. Well, and, and, and I think overall now with with what four viewings down, I still think my my favorite scene in the whole movie still it was after the first time we saw it, and after four times now the the Marion scene at the end, Karen Allen coming in at the end, I think is still my favorite scene. I mean, and it makes me think about how very early on when we knew this movie was probably going to happen where it was like, well, Indy's married now. And what is that going to be like? And we, we did like wonder, like, is it going to be like an Indian Marian adventure? Is it the two of them going out uh, off on an adventure together because they're like a couple. And it turns out too, that maybe way back when Spielberg was going to direct the movie, that that was an idea. Yeah, which is interesting to see because it it does make sense, right? Because it's like the first thing you would think of after Crystal Skull is like, okay, they're together now, and they've been on adventures before in in Raiders, and they were on adventure in Crystal Skull. So it's like, yeah, why wouldn't they? And it is kind of the thing with Dial of Destiny where maybe you are kind of bummed that they aren't together, but 
them not being together makes the end of the movie work so well and be such a surprise and such a treat and it wouldn't have the like emotional punch it does if she was in the rest of the movie so it's it's one of those trade-offs where it's like yeah it's sad they didn't get an adventure together but because they didn't the end of this movie just works so well and i guess maybe we'll get another indiana jones movie that's them on an adventure together because <laughs> karen allen said in a, in a different article in variety she said i think because the last time you see Indy and Marion, they got married. I don't know. I thought we'd pick up from where we left off. But I did always imagine that it would be a story with Indy and Marion going forward. When Stephen was going to direct the film, I think the scripts were more focused on an Indy Marion story. But when Stephen stepped aside and James came in, he started fresh with new writers. And they just went the direction they went in. They were going to tell a different story. That's not to say I'd ever read a script that Stephen was working on because I hadn't. But I just know from conversations we'd had that the ongoing story had involved Marion in a much bigger way than the story that they ended up with. Which, I'd be fascinated to read that one day if any details ever came out on that. Who knows? You know, I'd love a making of book. Probably. Is that ever going to happen? Probably not. But you know, and but that's also I'm not. I again, I love the way Marion coming back into the story paid off in Dial of Destiny. Well, and in the way the movie ends is, you know, if you want to play out the future in your imagination, Indy's back at the end of the movie, and they went through some hard times, but they have uh, adventures together to look forward to after this movie. So it could still happen. Even if it just happens in your mind, it's still, <laughs> we didn't lose anything. We didn't miss out on anything. Well, I'm just happy to have the movie we have. I love it. I want to go see it at least once more. I think maybe Rogue One, I think I saw five times or something. So I at least want, I, I at least want to hit five in the theater because I, five is a good number for me to kind of, have Dial of Destiny as part of the family now. I'm surprised you only saw Rogue One five times. <laughs> Maybe it was a busy, I don't know, things were going on. Because <laughs> I think of all the new Star Wars movies, I think I saw that one the most. I think I saw that like nine or ten times. But I think that was because my son was the right age where he was always up to go. He was like seven or something and six and it was like hey you want to go watch rogue one again he's like okay and we would just go <laughs> so maybe that contributed to it well five times in the theater i think eventually when dial destiny is on disney plus 24-hour loop it, it'll be good there isn't a dial the dial of disney plus that counts how many times you watch dial of destiny because you would break the dial your tv would catch on fire <laughs> Well, one of the challenges was just being honest about the fact that he is long in tooth. Um, mm. That 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 um, when I came on, I felt like the script that had been developed was kind of another adventure, but it wasn't really dealing with the fact that he's old. Let's just be mm -hmm. honest, and and Harrison would say the same, and and so with that, with his age, yes, comes wisdom, comes a lot of knowledge, but it also comes um, other things, not just physical. You know how we all change as we get older—wrinkles and you know the back aches. But the but um, 
But also the world has changed around him. Indy finds himself in a new world in the late mm. 60s, not quite the same black and white good versus evil, Nazis versus allies world of the 30s and the 40s. Have we met? My memory's a little fuzzy. Are you still a Nazi? Okay, so here we go. Let's talk about the dial. What's the deal with the dial? Let's before we get into what we see in the movie, let's talk a little bit about the real dial. And a lot of this comes from a, a wonderful, very recent Smithsonian Magazine article by Milan Soli. This is really interesting, kind of talking about like the actual Archimedes dial, though it isn't really Archimedes, right? Yeah, and kind of uh, Indiana Jones tradition, there's some bit of history in here of what the, the MacGuffin is in the movie. And there is this Antikythera dial that is, what, from 2,000 years old um, that was found by sponge divers um, outside of Sicily. That part is real. And there is a dial. And it is not, as far as we know, a time travel device, but it was something they used to kind of show where the planets and the stars and kind of what was going on in the solar system at a certain time. So it was like a way to see what the planets were doing at times in the future. Joe Marchant, who wrote a book from 2008 called Decoding the Heavens, Solving the Mystery of the World's First Computer, called this thing that was found off the Greek island of Antikythera, still getting used to saying that, called this thing probably the most exciting artifact we have from the ancient world. Yeah, and they mentioned that, uh, they say the ancients used it to predict eclipses, track the movement of the sun and moon, and even see when sporting events like the Olympics were scheduled to take place. So it's almost like a like a calendar in a way, like a, where you could see the future. The crazy thing too, is that the technology in the Antikythera mechanism was extremely complex for the time that it was created. Gear wheels, like they say in the article, the magazine article, dials and pointers to chart the cosmos. Like this is not things that existed in anything else back then. Yeah, and although the the device that um, they found was not from Archimedes' time, it was believed that the the design and kind of the idea of a device that could do what it does was based on things that Archimedes had discovered even earlier, even farther back in time. 
So there is kind of an Archimedes uh, connection to this device, even though that device isn't actually from the time of Archimedes. And in the time since then, the, the article goes on talking about that it, they've people have used X-rays, CT scans to study the 82 surviving fragments of the clock size object, which they be, they date it, they believe, to around roughly 260 BC, which is just crazy. And people like like, well, how did they come up with this? And the magazine article says a far-fetched interpretation suggested that the device was alien technology used on alien spaceships. Sounds like something George Lucas would be into. And it's now, it's it's housed at the National Archaeological Museum in Athens, Greece. It's, it's a part to reveal its intricate network of gears, as the magazine article says. But it's crazy, like, to watch the movie and be like, no, this this is all a real thing. And like we said in our previous episode, it's not like a religious artifact. Like, it's like Voller says, like, this isn't superstition. This is science. Yeah, and in this case, the real device, you know, is actually a example of science and of very impressive science from a long time ago. So it's it's true from a certain point of view, like what, what the dial does um and just the movie kind of taking that to uh to a fantasy level of it and not just telling you the position of the sun and the moon and the stars but telling you when there are fissures in time and it doesn't control time it's not a time travel device it is a map to naturally occurring time travel so that kind of leads us into the movie's version of history so Kind of the, the story of the dial in the movie starts in 214 BC when Archimedes is building the dial and he's working on it when later th- that day the, the battle is going on outside and he finds the completed future dial along with dead Voler and the watch. He gives he tries to give the watch to Indian Helena. They take off for 1969 with the dial. He finishes the past dial, the uncompleted dial, separates it, and is entombed with half of it and the Voler watch. So then what, 1900-something, divers find the dial. They don't know where the other half is. 1944, half that dial is on the Nazi train with all the other stuff. Indy bluffs and to throw it to Voller, but he actually keeps the dial and then gives it to Basil at, at the end there. Then the story picks up, cut to 1951. We're just six, maybe seven years before it came in the Crystal Skull. And Basil is obsessed with the dial and researching it and tries to destroy it. And Indy is in the UK and takes the dial, promising to destroy it. He never does. Around 1959, Indy moves to this New York school. We don't know why. I like to think in my head that Marion lived in New York, and he moved to New York, took a teaching job there to be with Marion. But he keeps this half the dial in his cool little school museum there. So yeah, then we cut to 1969 as Indy is teaching about it and the Battle of Syracuse. He says the dial is the proof that all these things in the path 
past existed. Helena shows up, saying the other half that fell off the train with Voller is still there and they should find it. Indy reveals to her, yes, that he has the piece. She's surprised and thought he destroyed it. She was bluffing. She wanted to sell it for money. Was Helena doing all that just to eventually get Indy to do what he did? I think so. I think as the movie goes on, we realize how how cunning and and, uh, determined she is that I think she knows Indy has it because she knows Indy enough to know that Indy wouldn't destroy it and that she's pretending like she knows where it is to get him to admit he has it. (laughs) She memorized all her dad's journals. Like she's too smart to be fooled that it's, you know, it got thrown in the river. Like she knows. She knows Polybius B. She knows all the codes. So then Helena takes it through New York and she tries to sell it in Morocco. And then Voller takes it from Teddy, and then he has it basically for the rest of the movie, and then it's a race to find the other half of the dial in Archimedes' tomb. The Voller puts the pieces back together so he can go back to what he thinks is 1939. He knows they're going to Sicily, doesn't know about continental drift, and then they're back in, I think they say 214 BC, I believe it is. You know, it's outrageous, but it, it's you know you watch the movie, especially a couple times, and it can, can seem pretty straightforward. It's a great classic Indiana Jones kind of race against time, find the thing before the bad guys do. But then that was the thing in the days and weeks afterwards, where it's like you start thinking about it, and I was like, well, what about the dates? Because Basil had those dates, right? But then. Kind of like the third time I watched it, and we, I, I knew we were going to do this episode, and I really started thinking about it. Or no, the fourth time I watched it. Indy's looking at those dates on the airplane, and then when they're on the boat, before they start talking about Mutt, when they talk about those dates, Indy's not sure. He's like, well, maybe, because there, there's these numbers written down, and they match up like three days or two days from that day where they're on the boat. And they match up to right before the Nazis invade Poland. But those dates may not have been anything. Those dates kind of like could have been just something Basil wrote down that just happened to match up with historical dates. No, and I think that seems to be the case where, you know, we're definitely shown that Basil's kind of losing his mind trying to decode this thing. And we know that the the Nazis and Voller in particular are obsessed with Hitler's failures and, and, you know, what had happened in the past. And maybe it's kind of, you know, goes with the theme of the movie too, of being obsessed with the past, that they found these connections that really had nothing to do with the dial. Other than if the dial is based on, you know, the, the real kind of dial, if it showed, you know, eclipses and things going on in the cosmos, that maybe some of those things lined up with dates that were important to the person trying to decode it. And they, they put the importance on those dates, not that the dial itself had anything to do with them. Because, yeah, it does kind of seem like, as much as the movie at times sounds like it's explaining to you what the dial is doing and what's happening, that in reality it's just the characters in the movie thinking they figured it out, but we find out at the end that they didn't really figure it out. Right, which kind of leads you into watching the movie that the dial is like some sort of time travel device. Like it's like the flux capacitor or something or, you know, but when actually it's not it, the, what the dial can tell you 
is the coordinates where the time fissure is going to be because you got it because that was the thing I was watching it and I was like well there's not a time fissure always above Sicily but the dial did tell them kind of when this would happen and w- like maybe how long it would last right and and, and I think you know as you go into the end of the movie with Archimedes showing up and it it kind of becomes one of those time travel stories where you're not changing the future because this always happened and Archimedes knows where to tell the dial to tell you to go to travel through time because he saw the airplane come through the portal that was traveling through time. So he's not really, you know, the, the device is actually behaving in a way like the real world device where it just shows you these important astrological events. And to him, what's the most important one is the time the people from the future came back to the past. So the dial is really just showing you how to get to what already happened. Because Archimedes says you were always going to come. It's, it's the, the fixed loop of time travel stuff. Cause like, I think I said in our last episode too, for a minute I was just like, Oh wow. They're going to leave the dial the completed dial in the past. It's like the the Terminator arm from like T2, which I always thought was genius that the Terminator came from the future into the past, left the arm behind. They found the arm. They built the Terminator based on that arm. No one invented that arm. Like that arm just appeared from the future and that's what they built the Terminator off of. It's a closed circle of time travel. But and that the device isn't like the Terminator arm, but kind of them going back. It is like a circle where Archimedes, like you said, he knows they're going to come. It's kind of the neat thing where the Nazis think you can use it just to go willy nilly in time. Like, well, this is going to take us back to Poland based on these dates that Basil Shaw wrote down. And when Indy goes into Basil's house, does, I think Basil talks about like the German theory that it can take you back to this time. But no, it's a one-way ticket. Even Helena says that in the end. She says specifically that it's one way. Like like you said, there's you can't change the past. It's already set. Right, and doesn't she, she brings up her card trick and she calls it a forced deck. It's, you know, the illusion of choice. You think you're picking the time to go back to, to change the future, but really... You're just going to where you were always meant to go so that the dial would exist in its first place to tell you where to go so you could go back, so they could make the dial, so you could find it to tell you to go back. Helena's card trick is such a great metaphor, right smack dab in the middle of the movie, because you've got Antonio Banderas like, she's magic, you know, like, do it again. And then you've got Indy kind of in that same scene later talking about like, I don't believe in magic, but I've seen things in my life I can't explain. This whole idea of, in the movie, kind of superstition versus science. And introducing that in an Indiana Jones movie and kind of that kind of way of thinking is really kind of wild. Thinking about the things we've seen in previous Indiana Jones movies, but kind of explaining the outrageousness of time travel in a very kind of science, mathematic it's not crazy. It's not magic. It's destiny. <laughs> well, and it, it's. And I think we went into maybe a little bit of this with uh, our review episode two of the idea that the the time travel in this 
where on the surface seems very fantasy and and kind of crazy and out there, it's really the theme of the movie. And it's like, it works in the movie because it's reinforcing the themes of the movie, which is time, the passage of time and not being able to change the past. And also you could almost say like, you know, Indian Marion kind of being depressed because of what happened with mutt. They're kind of stuck in a time loop, or at least Indy stuck in the time loop of wanting to change the past, thinking if he could change the past, then he would be happy and he would get through the problem. And he's really in himself stuck in this loop of like wanting to change the past. But really the only way to move past that horrible trauma is to go into the future and get out of that loop that he's stuck in, which is what the movie's showing you that, you know, it's, it's, it's very cool how this crazy thing is actually so central to the story the movie's trying to say. And it's like, I don't know it's clever i guess is a good a good way to put it i don't know it's it really it's the key to this movie in more in more than just the 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 plot right the plot is the plot but there's actually meaning to it and there's little things along the way too where when indy retires his gift his like parting gift they give him a clock and what's the first thing indy does with the clock he, he gives it away like he doesn't want this. Almost like he's not interested in time. You know, he's too stuck in his world at that moment. And you know, there's the ticking clock on his window, which the movie opens up when we see the logos and we see like the Disney Paramount and Lucasfilm logo. There's the sound of the ticking clock, and then when we see Indy sleeping, both times we enter his apartment, there's the sound of the ticking clock. And what does Teddy do? He steals Indy's father, Henry Jones's watch. And he, you know, my father gave me that watch and he has to have the watch back. There's all these little bits along the way with like clocks and time and ticking clocks and time passing. Right. And, you know, Indiana Jones isn't getting any younger. He can't fight the passage of time, but he can choose how he uses the time he has left and does he use the time he has left to move forward with Marion and find happiness or does he want to use the time he has to be stuck in this loop that he can't escape because he can't change the future by changing the past because it is what it is and will always be what it is and i think something that was throwing me off too and again with kind of indy being stuck in that thing was at the end when he's saying he wants to stay he like pulls that little piece of paper out of his pocket and gives it to Helena be like, okay, go to these coordinates. It'll get you back home where I'm like, well, the time fissure is right there in the sky behind them. And pretty much you just fly into that. And it's almost at that moment, Indy still, maybe he still doesn't believe, you know, like, cause he's still thinking he wants to stay back there. I don't know. Yeah. It does seem like none of that mattered. And it also, you know, going back, and watching it again, knowing what happens, that the the continental drift line almost seems more of Indy just making it up as he goes to just make Voler doubt it. It's not so much that Indy believes that that has anything to do with what the dial is telling them, but he knows that that's enough to confuse or or make Voler doubt his own plans because it's plausible, right? Like, so I think. Yeah, that's kind of what we're realizing that a lot of the uh, 
the things that initially the movie seems like it's explaining are actually, yeah, that doesn't matter. It's it actually, it's, it's the characters being misinformed, not what the dial is really doing. The dial does what it wants to do. You know, again, it's, it's the illusion of choice. It's the force deck. It's, it's not magic. It's a set thing. You're going to, what's going to happen is what's going to happen. Again, it's the dial of destiny. It's not the dial of choice. It's not the dial of going back and fixing your past. It's the dial of where you're always going to end up. Well, and yeah, because the dial, all the dial is, is a map to the time fissure. The time fissure exists independent of the dial. The time fissure is there, has always been there. And all the dial is, is it's just another map. It has no power. It has no anything other than just being uh, incredible technology to show you how to get to a particular time and place. But it does like the card trick. It's a trick. It has no magic. The magic is just there independent of the dial. Well, and they might have known, like, the, the time fissure in the sky may not have appeared since the Battle of Syracuse. When it appeared in 1969, it may not have appeared since that time. And perhaps Archimedes figured out when it would appear again, which is the race against time, to get there when they get it. Yeah, and when he kind of figures it out because he asks Indy, how how long have you come from? And Indy's like 2,000 years or whatever, right? So it's almost like then Archimedes is like, okay, all right. So sometime 2,000 years from now, there's going to be this thing where people from the future can come back. And then he figures out how to make the dial let you know when that is. But yeah, it is kind of funny, like, you know, watching it the second time or, you know, or for you past that, where there is kind of a different, these things make sense in a different way. Cause you know, what's going to happen and you kind of see where, what happens, you know, like with the watch is happening because of, <laughs> they found it earlier because it happened here at the end of the movie. And you know, this, that whole, yeah, everything happens because it already happened. Which uh, I love that for a minute there when, they're at Archimedes' tomb, and they have the watch that they took off Archimedes' skeleton. That for a minute there, that Voler's watch is existing simultaneously in two different time periods. Like there's two copies of Voler's watch existing at the same time. And there's a great part. That's something I noticed the second time. I think when they're on the plane, Voler, there's some point where Voler's by Indy, and Indy sees his watch, and he gives like a double take. Because he's like, wait, that's the watch that was in the tomb. Did you catch that? Yeah. Well, and they yeah, they really have Voler putting that watch on really dramatically. <laughs> yeah. Which I totally missed the first time. And I and I love that, you know, how much we're talking about time travel here, because they do go back in time in the movie, but it's not, you know, we gotta go like back to the future and we gotta go to nineteen eighty five and we gotta go to the future and we gotta it's not like a time travel movie. It's more just like you go back in time in this movie and James Mangold said that didn't make any sense, but just roll with me. James Mangold said in Hollywood reporter, his quote is, so I never thought about this as time travel per se, although they certainly go through a portal in time at the end of the movie, which I guess kind of is like what I just said, but the movie isn't about time travel. It's about time. It's about getting older, and it's about the world changing around you. And as long as there's been Indiana Jones movies, the power of the relic has always had some sort of dialogue with the theme of the movie itself. So it was no shocker. 
I mean, that's kind of what we talked about in our previous episode, that all of these movies, it's not about the relic. It's not about the object. It's about what that object means. And, you know, watching the movie again, too, you realize that Voller is having kind of the same issues with time that Indy is. He is a horrible Nazi, and he had the opportunity to leave that past behind him and become this other person who's like a hero of the USA for getting them on the moon. But he's just obsessed with being a nasty Nazi and Hitler's failure and wanting to change his past instead of finding his future. And kind of, I guess it's almost like going back to Raiders with Belloc and Indy kind of being almost the same person, but just slightly different enough. And Voller's kind of, you know, in a similar situation with Indy in this at, at their, you know, being older and, and what are they going to do with the rest of their lives? Yeah, what Voller says to Indiana Jones at one point, like what the the world no longer has a place for men like us to Indiana Jones. People literally that, yeah, they live in the past. And like, like we said, Indy in the beginning of the movie is teaching people about the Battle of Syracuse when people have just landed on the moon. The world is moving forward, but Indiana Jones is literally still stuck in the past in every way. And I think like overall, with everything we've talked about here with the dial, I mean, maybe it seems confusing, but I think some of that is on purpose because I think what's great with Dial of Destiny is it asks questions that it, it doesn't have answers for on purpose for the reason to make you go home and think about the themes. How did the dial work? What did it do? What were the the numbers like that Basil had? Did it mean anything? What you know, did the coordinates mean anything? It's the great thing in if this is the final Indiana Jones story. Like we said this whole thing of super, superstition versus science and what do you believe? It's not what you believe, it's how hard you believe it. Like Indiana Jones says in the movie and that's kind of a a neat way to kind of end this whole thing. Yeah. Dial of Destiny is at the same time an Indiana Jones movie that you would expect an Indiana Jones movie to be. And it's also kind of a different kind of Indiana Jones movie that is a little more introspective and serious and dramatic in ways that sometimes, you know, the other ones aren't. And it's kind of a special movie. And that's, it's a deeper movie than I thought it would ever be. You know, and like I said, it reminds me of going to see like The Last Jedi again and thinking about, you know, we are what they grow beyond. And okay, next time I go, I'm going to watch it and just think of that theme through the whole thing. It's like the, the kind of movies that are great for repeat viewing. So I guess what we're saying is go see Dial Destiny again. <laughs> You, you don't have to see it four times, but you at least need to see it twice. <laughs> it's basically what we're saying. Give it, give it a, if you enjoyed it the first time, give it a second watch. Go by yourself. Go find someone sleeping in an airplane and take them. Yeah. Go to a drive-in and watch it in an airplane. <laughs> and just take a nap and you know wake up when they get to Morocco. That's okay, too. That's okay. And if you can find someone that has yummy pizza sandwiches... <laughs> bring those two. Bring some for, for your friends. Bring some for the whole theater.
just see Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Be Indiana Jones and take on six new adventures. Call 1-900-990-INDY on your touchtone phone to play the Indiana Jones telephone adventure game. Every caller can write in for a great indie photo certificate. It's only $2.50 a call. Kids, check with your parents before calling. You call this archaeology? Take on the challenge and don't miss Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Ready PG-13. Starts Wednesday, May 24th at theaters everywhere. today, kid. It doesn't mean you have to like it. So guess what? Apple Podcast Reviews. Come on. We, we listen. We haven't had an Apple Podcast Review since April. It's bumming me out. So when you get done listening to this, go over there. If you liked what you heard, if you liked what you heard in Indie Month or whatever the heck is going on with this episode, go write something nice. If you listen on Apple, leave us a five-star review. We love reading it. And if you listen on Spotify, just hit five stars over there for us too. So I'm both places more people can find us when they're looking for Star Wars podcasts. And again, they get disappointed because these guys are still talking about Indiana Jones. Yeah. Give us a review that says, when are you going to talk about Star Wars again? And, and maybe we'll listen to you. And by the time the review, we read it, it'll be, we'll be back to Star Wars. So you'll get your wish. But also make sure you check out our website, blastpointspodcast.com, which is the best place to search for back episodes. So if you want to find all of our indie month episodes from previous or no indie year episodes previously uh if you missed any of those when we reposted them and make sure you are following us on instagram facebook twitter and if you're on facebook make sure you're in our super chill group and if you're on twitter hopefully there's still twitter we'll we'll find out i was happy to see that twitter has a link to the podcast now like where you can listen to episodes that was really cool so hopefully Twitter doesn't die. <laughs> we're, we're on that new uh, Facebook, Instagram thing called Threads, too. So if you're on that, look us up on that for more of the same stuff on everything else. And if you want to support the show in a different way, we, we listen, we still have the Blast Points Army on Patreon, where hopefully later this month we'll get back to business over there. We just posted, though, like a week ago, some of the amazing music that gave that you've come up with that you can listen to and download right like so the end of year theme if you want to have that playing when you walk into every room in your house it's it's available right on the on the patreon for folks yeah you can just play that and then just go talk to a mirror about indiana jones and pretend you can make your own blast points episodes and it's gonna be indie month indie year every day at home Give a presentation to your family about Dial of Destiny, and you can play the music before you, as warning to them that, oh, Dad's talking about Dial of Destiny again. Get ready. But that wraps up number 365, which now we have 365 episodes. If you want to listen to an episode a day for the next year, you could. I don't recommend it, but you could. Please don't do that. Talk to our families. They'll recommend against it. They have to talk to us every day 
all the time anyway. So next week, we're taking the week off, but we will be back on Tuesday, July 25th, where we promise, listen, we really promise we're going to be back to Star Wars. Yeah. Do we even like Star Wars anymore? I don't even know. I'm starting to get the, I miss Star Wars. I'm starting to get the itch. I know. No, I am too. I was thinking about that yesterday. I was like, man, this is the longest time. I feel like this is the longest I've gone without talking about Star Wars in so long. (laughs) I need to just go to the grocery store and ask people about Mandalorian. It's going to be Ahsoka madness literally before we know it. And we're going to be knee deep in Ahsoka. So, you know, take this time to enjoy your summer before Ahsoka madness takes over. So. Until then, everyone, thank you, everyone, so much for your support during this brief period of indie madness. We're coming through the other end of the time fissure. We're going we're gonna to be all right here. Yeah, we're going to wake up in bed, and there's going to be a spear next to us, but we're going we're gonna to go get some ice cream. So until then, everyone, thank you all so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Goes. I'm kind of sad to say goodbye to Indiana Jones. Well, let's not say goodbye. Let's simply say adieu. Does that really sound like the end of Indiana Jones? Lisa Gibbons, Entertainment Tonight. Henry Jones, Jr.